For the last four months, we have studied the book of Ephesians, learning who we are and what we do in Christ. Basically, how to be a Jesus follower. And today's passage is crucial. And I'll be honest with you, we're not going to finish it today. I had a little compassion on you. Uh, the sermon was so long by the time I got done that I cut it into two, and we will finish this up when we finish the book next week. Today's passage, the Armor of God passage, is kind of like a coach giving final instructions to his team and then saying, okay, suit up and let's hit the field. Or maybe even more appropriately, it's like a commander giving final, final battle instructions before sending an army out into the field and telling them, pay particular attention to your equipment. Don't leave your weapons behind. Double check your helmet and your shield and all that you have to protect yourself. It's going to be a tough battle and we don't want anyone hurt. You all ready? And then they go. Now listen, the tougher the battle, the more equipment that you need. And we see this all the time in today's world. A, a football player wears shoulder pads and he's got protection on his knees and on his, th his thighs and he's got cleats on to protect his feet and he's got a helmet and he's got a face guard and protection for his teeth and then many of them go beyond that and add all kinds of special protection. It's much more complicated than what we do as a family. Put on shorts and shoes and a t-shirt and let's go play. There are things you need if you're going to play the game at a high level. A police officer has a uniform and boots and a flashlight and, and, and guns and a taser and, and, and uh, flashlights and all kinds of things. They've got more loops and hooks and connections and cameras and microphones than I can possibly imagine, but they're all needed before they go out into the field. In today's passage, Paul compares serving Christ to a Roman soldier. Everyone in Ephesus would have seen a Roman soldier. Many of those in the church may have been at one time Roman soldiers. And before they go into battle, a soldier suits up. Before we can serve Christ at a high level, Paul teaches us we need to suit up. Now, it's a very powerful word picture, but don't get so caught up in the details of a Roman soldier that you lose the truths you need to follow Jesus. Paul isn't teaching us how to be a good Roman soldier. He's teaching us how to be a soldier or a follower of Jesus. And we need these instructions before we leave the book, before we go out into the world to serve and follow Jesus. We need to know what Paul teaches us. So let's read today's passage. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 10 through 17. It's a favorite passage of many, and you will understand why when we read it. Here's how it reads, beginning with verse 10 of chapter 6. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, 
with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now you can see the, the comparison. Paul talks about six pieces of armor, and he'll add one next week, prayer, that a soldier needs before he goes into battle. And then he gives those six things that a Christian needs before we go and serve Christ. But even before we get to those six pieces of armor, there are things about this passage that you and I really need to understand. So let's jump in and explore what Paul is teaching us. And the first thing he says about the Jesus way, and the first thing I want you to understand is the command in the passage, and the command in the passage is to stand strong and stand firm. The command is not to win the battle. Jesus will take care of that. The command is not to devise a great plan or strategy. Jesus has already done that. The command is not to be powerful. The Holy Spirit takes care of that. The command is stand firm. Listen to how many times it is repeated. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord. Verse 11, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, stand your ground, and after you've done everything, stand. Verse 14, stand firm. You're not called to be super smart or super powerful or super talented. You are called to take a stand for Jesus and not to back down, sit down, step back, give up, stand down, turn around, walk away, surrender, or do anything other than to take a strong stand for Jesus and to stand firm no matter what comes your way. I believe in Jesus should be the rock upon which you stand. It is the rallying cry when the battle is moving forward, and it is your final stand when the battle turns against you. I stand for Jesus, and I will not back down. You know you have done this well. When I believe in Jesus is the thing for which you are most known. Not your politics, not your sports, not your business, not your profession, not even your family. I believe in Jesus and I will stand firm for him should be the thing for which we are most known for at Avondale Baptist Church. Not our location, not our denomination, not our ministries, not our preacher, not our staff, but we stand for Jesus. According to tradition, Martin Luther, when he was on trial for heresy and after he gave a strong testimony for Scripture and for Jesus, closed his defense with this, Here I stand. God help me, I can do no other. Amen. Your command is to stand firm in your faith in Jesus. Hey, on days you're going to experience great victory. On days you're going to have tough days when it looks like You've been defeated, but at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the year, at the end of your life, you want to be able to take your stand for Jesus. That's the command that Paul gives us. Now, I also want you to see the underlying truth 
and the reason why Paul chose the analogy of a soldier. And here's the reality behind the passage. Paul says it's war. We're not just in a game seeking a trophy. We are not in a contest seeking to be declared the winner. And we're not in an election seeking to persuade voters that our way or our candidate is the right way. We are involved in a war between the forces of God and Satan fighting for the souls and the eternities of our friends, our family members, our neighbors, and even our enemies, inviting them all to put their faith in Jesus and to take a stand for Jesus with us. Now listen, there are some things about war that we need to be reminded of. And make no mistake about it, Paul is clear, we're in a war. And so we need to remember that war is tough. I know there are movies and TV shows out there that make war seem glamorous. But war is a horrible thing. This thing that you and I are involved in is not just about singing songs and enjoying meals together and having great fellowship and meeting in beautiful buildings and having fun. Those are the preliminaries to the real battle, which is out there. It's war. Listen, also something we need to understand about war is that enemies are real. Don't be surprised when you were hated because of your stand for Jesus. That happens in war. Don't be surprised when people take a stand against you. Don't be surprised when you are criticized. It's war. So remember the reality. Paul says, we're in a war. It's tough. Enemies are real. And listen, one of the things you need to learn about war is don't participate in friendly fire. There is no such thing. When an army, army fights themselves, they lose. So don't spend time attacking pastors and churches and denominations and fellow believers. We don't have to agree on all the particulars of our faith to take a stand for Jesus together. One of my favorite memories of this church is when we started our medical mission and we found out that many of the people spoke Spanish and I and we did not. And so we went down the street and we enlisted some of the Roman Catholic nuns to come and interpret for us. And people would come into our church building and they were puzzled. Is, is this a Catholic ministry or is this a Baptist ministry? And the nuns, I want to tell you, they were incredible. They said, we both believe in Jesus and we both love people. We are here to help you. We are on the same side. Don't participate in friendly fire. We must stand together with other believers. Hey, a Roman shield had this neat thing going for it. They would interlock one shield, which was put in front of someone else, and they were big shields. They were two feet wide and four to five feet tall, so you could stand behind them and protect themselves, but they would interlock with the person sitting next to you and the person standing next to you and right on down the road, and you could make a wall with the shields because you were standing together. One of the things we need to remember about the war that we are in is that there's no such thing as friendly fire. Either we stand together or we fall. And something else we need to remember about war. Don't get sidetracked. 
Know what we're fighting for. Know what the goal is. Know what victory is. We are in a spiritual war with the goal to make disciples of Jesus. That's our goal. When that happens, that's our win. Our goal is not primarily to win an election. We get way too easily sidetracked on election cycles. Our goal is not primarily cultural. We get way too easily sidetracked on cultural issues. Our goal is not to pass a law. Our goal is not primarily legislative. Our goal is not primarily even national. The kingdom of God is much bigger than any one nation. Our goal is to make disciples of Jesus. And when we get sidetracked from that, no matter how good it seems we're doing, when we get sidetracked from the making of disciples, followers of Jesus who will stand with us, we lose. You probably know enough United States history to know that our nation has fought some incredible wars where it was very clear who the enemy was and what we were fighting for. And by the way, we won those wars. We've also been in some wars and conflict in which the goal was not clear. What are we trying to do here? How do we know when we have won? And when those wars and conflicts turned against us, we just wanted to get out with minimal losses. And then, never mind the losses, let's just get out with honor. And then finally, let's just get out. And we didn't do well. Why not? Because we didn't know exactly what it was we were fighting for. We didn't know what a win would look like. We were not clear about our goals, and we got in a messy situation that turned on us. We didn't do well. The church will only win when we know exactly what our goal is, exactly what a win looks like, exactly what we want to do. And we have to be careful and understand at all times our goal, no matter what the obstacles, no matter what the culture, no matter what the language, no matter what the secondary issues are, our primary issue as a church, as a believer, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The church is in a battle for the souls of men. We win when someone says yes to Jesus and begins to follow him. We lose when we focus on anything else because everything else is secondary to making disciples of Jesus. Hey, I know sometimes I say a lot about our basketball ministry because that's one of the ministries that I'm personally embedded in. And I will tell you, this basketball league, especially by the time we get to the high school basketball league, it's hard. By the end of the season, my legs are like jelly. I'm just not sure that a 63-year-old man should be refereeing the games, running up and down the court, trying to stay up with teenagers, but we do it because we have a goal. It's emotional. Trying to teach love and respect and maturity in the midst of competition for teenagers, many of whom have been disrespected all their lives, is a tough call for our coaches and our referees. Over the years, at times, we've had to clear the gym of parents, everybody out, because parents can be the worst enemy at times to what we're trying to accomplish. We've had to suspend players and eject them from the game and even from the gym. 
We've occasionally, and this is sad, but it's happened, had to call the police. We've had to end games before they're over. It's done. Go on home. Why do we do it? Because we are in a battle for their souls. And when we see them take a stand for Jesus, everything else is secondary. Everything else was worth it. That's what victory looks like. This last season was one of our toughest seasons. I don't know why. We'd been out of it for a year, so a lot of these players were new to our league. They didn't understand what we were trying to do. They didn't understand what Christianity is all about. They didn't understand respect. They didn't understand good sportsmanship, and we're trying to teach this on the fly as we go. And everyone in the league, coaches and referees, were frustrated. But on the last night, when I gave the invitation, and several of the people that I had prayed for by name came forward and took a stand for Jesus. That was our win. And the battle, the war, was worth it. Now there's another thing I want you to understand. When I say we're in a war, I want you to understand that we have a very real enemy, the devil. The Bible is clear from Genesis chapter 2 right on all the way through the book of Revelation, that we have a very real enemy. It's not just an idea. He's not just a metaphor. He's real. He's known as the devil. He's known as Satan. He's known as the adversary. He's known as the accuser. He's known as Lucifer and many other names in the Bible. And his goal is to kill and destroy and tear apart lives and families and nations and churches and to take a stand against everything good. His goal for you, if you're a believer, is to tear down your stand for Jesus. And you need to know that. So let's look again at verses 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have an enemy, the devil and his demonic followers. Now understand, the devil will lie to you. He will tempt you to do something, anything, stupid and harmful if it will ultimately hurt you. If he can't tempt you with one thing, he will try another. He will call good evil. He will call evil good. He's the power behind all hate and all lies and all pain and all stupidity and all sin. And it's time that as a church, we took a very clear stand against him. But be warned that when you do, he will do all he can to tear you apart, your family apart, your church apart. He will try and destroy your integrity and your testimony. But listen, God is more powerful. And when we call upon him, we can stand for him. But we need to know, we must know, that we have an enemy. I don't enjoy talking about the devil but it's necessary for us to know that he's real. 
Otherwise, we will grow lazy and undisciplined and apathetic, kind of like deer when the mountain lions and the wolves and the hunters have been removed. The devil will try and convince you that God is not real. And if he can't do that, the devil will try and convince you that he is not real. We have a very real enemy, the devil. And so Paul says, listen, there are things that we need. There are pieces of armor that we must have. If we are going to win this battle, there are requirements. And I'm going to go into a little bit more detail next week on these. But let me run them through so you know what you need in order to participate in the war and win the battle against Satan. The requirements are truth and righteousness, and the gospel, and faith, and salvation, and the word, and then we'll talk more about it next week, prayer. These things are necessary if we are going to take our stand and participate in the war and see some wins and be able to stand against all that the devil throws our way. Hey, let me make some personal applications. I'm going to ask you today to do two things. I'm going to ask you today to do two things. Don't just get to this point and kind of close up your Bible and say he's about done. I'm going to ask you specifically to do two very real things. Number one, I'm going to ask you to decide, to make a very real personal decision. Are you in or are you out? Are you in the fight? Are you on the sideline? Are you too busy to follow Jesus all the way? Because this thing is real. People need to know Jesus. We are called upon to take Jesus to them. The devil is going to oppose us. It is a real battle. It's not going to be easy. It doesn't come automatically. A preacher cannot do it by himself. He needs everybody in the battle, and so you need to decide. Am I in or am I out? We have many, way too many people today who go by believers who've never enlisted in the war. Maybe they don't think it's real. Maybe they think that's just for the preachers and the evangelists. That's for the super saints. But as we've seen, Paul wrote this book to all the saints. That's you and I. And so you need to make a very real decision. Am I in this thing all the way? Am I on the sidelines? Am I sitting on the bench? Am I just in a pew? Or am I in this thing for real? And I want you to tell Jesus today what you've decided. I'm in, or I'm out. I'm in the game. I'm on the bench. I've enlisted, so I've got a lot to learn. Run me through basic training, or I'll enlist later. You're in or you're out, and you and I, both, all of us, and then on a regular daily basis, have to make this decision. Decide. And if you decided that you've been, it is time to suit up and get in the game. The battle has begun. It's not too late to start, but you got to be serious. And you've got to build these things, truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word, and prayer into your life. 
or you're not going to be of any real value to the team. I was coaching basketball. Normally I referee and kind of administrate the league, but we had a, a, a week in which a coach couldn't be there. And so I was uh, coaching a team and I really enjoy coaching because it's a whole lot more fun to coach than referee. Let me just put it that way. But I was enjoying coaching the game. I only had six players that day. So one of the things I was doing was shuffling players in and out. Okay, you're on the bench now. You're on the bench now. You're on the bench. And I constantly had people going in and out. So everybody got plenty of time to play. and Everybody had a chance to stay fresh. And everybody got, got a chance to be involved in the game. In the fourth quarter, I made a substitution. Brought a young lady to the bench and... She sat down, and I'm watching the game, and one of our players got his fourth foul. Five, and you're out. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to give him a little break because I'm going to need him at the end. So I turned to her and said, you're in. And then I looked back. She had already taken her shoes off. Put them on. You're in the game. But by then, the timeout was over. It was too late. The game went on. And she ended up on the bench. We've got way too many Christians who go by the name of Jesus, but they're not suited up. They're not ready. They're not on the front lines. They're not talking to people about Jesus. They're not taking a firm stand that nothing can move. So listen, it's time to suit up. It's time to get in the war. It's time to get in the battle. The spiritual battle, the battle for the hearts and souls of men and women. I'll be on the sidelines in some of the cultural wars. I'll be on the sidelines in some of the election wars. I'll be on the sidelines in some of the other things that go on in our nation. But I can't afford to be on the sideline in the biggest thing imaginable. The hearts and souls and eternities of people for whom Jesus died. I can't save anybody. I can't even really convince anybody. But I can stand firm and proclaim the truth. And through that, trust that God will use my testimony and yours, our church and others, to bring people to faith in Jesus. That is the war that we're in. And I'm inviting you to enlist. Hey, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to help you. If you've never followed Jesus in baptism, hey, we're baptizing this Sunday and next. I'm excited about that. We'd be honored to baptize you. If you're not a member of a church, we'd be honored. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're ready to stand with us firm for the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you to become a member of Avondale Baptist Church. If God leads and you need help on any of these things, any decision, or you just need prayer, call us. Text us. Email us. The battle is real. The enemy is there and here. And we need to be suited up and ready to take our stand without giving up, backing up, surrendering in any way. Ready to take our stand for Jesus. I invite you to join me. Let's pray. God help us to take a stand for Jesus to never give up, back up, stand down, turn around, walk away, surrender, or do anything 
other than to stand firm in our faith in Jesus Christ and to let the world know it. Help that to be true of me, of us, and of Avondale Baptist Church and thousands of other churches around the nation and around the world. We want to stand for Jesus. Help us to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Avondale Baptist Church. A couple of quick announcements that I'd like to share with you on Sunday afternoon, December 12th. And we'll give you all the address and everything. We're going to have a Christmas musical celebration at the City of Avondale Amphitheater, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's going to be a great program. You're not going to want to miss it. Since it's outside and not in a church setting, it will be safe. Since it's outside and not in a church setting, we believe that others will come that may not come to church. And there they will hear in song and in word the gospel of Jesus. We invite you to invite them. And then, of course, our candlelight Christmas Eve service on December 24th at 6 o'clock. One of my favorite services of the year. It'll be in our gymnasium, and we invite you to participate. Hey, thank you for joining us. Remember who we are. We love God. We love people. And we follow Jesus. And we invite you to do the same. And all the people say, Amen.